Welcome to the DFS Free Game Show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter, and it's Wednesday, it's Wednesday NBA trade deadline. We saw a lot of stuff happen yesterday. What's going to happen tonight? I think what Thursday, Thursday afternoon, right? Thursday afternoon is the trade deadline. So we're going to, it's going to be silly season. It's going to be silly season. We saw that last night uh, with the, you know, we had uh, what, what trades. But the Pacers had a big trade. What they traded Halliburton, the Kings. Everyone's going. Is that a bad trade? I don't know. I don't. I don't even know what the guy looks like. So apparently, apparently he's a good young player, and the Kings are just like. I guess they're. Who knows? Who knows? They're getting some bonus. Does that matter? I don't know. So uh, stuff is going on. So obviously, going over today's slate. What's the point? I mean, what's? The, I mean, uh, uh, who's going to play? Who's going to be traded? It's only a six-game slate for a Wednesday. Right, we had the bigger slate on a two yesterday on Tuesday. Typically, the smaller slates on Tuesday and the bigger slates on Wednesday. So maybe there won't be as much much silly season stuff today. But uh, what's the point in going over it? I mean, if we went over the slate yesterday after what happened, eleven o'clock in the morning. What does that matter? It doesn't matter. That's why we reviewed the slates uh, previously. Right, learn, learn DFS strategy. Answer your questions in the chat. I see you guys in there. Suki Singh. Good morning, Jupocalypse. Good morning, Slick GM. Alex Santi's here. Kid, kid, clouder, kicker, whatever, whatever. He has a one. Is a shouldn't be. It should be an L. I don't know. Jamie, Ronald Coley, people from the Roto Grinders Discord, right? Some people in our Discord. Oh, you have a show in the morning. Like, how do you not know? How do you not know? I'm here like every Monday through Friday, most, most, mostly, eleven o'clock in the morning. Give me those thumbs ups. You know what to do when you walk in the door. Give me those thumbs ups. It helps us out a bunch. I'm always told we need more thumbs ups. We need more thumbs ups. The little like buttons, whatever, subscribe buttons, notification bells. Just take your mouse, click around the screen as much as you want, right? Even pause me. You can even pause me on the, hit my head. You can do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Say hello in the chat. Uh, I'm always answering any questions you got in there. Good morning, MJC. Kickstart, Joe Adamo. Uh, Giannis killed you in cash yesterday. I'm assuming you didn't have him. Because uh, yesterday, yesterday was just basically, uh, uh, we, we had tons of players that are like way, way, uh, way, way underpriced for the situation they're going to be. Basically, the Pacers and the Blazers were running essentially eight-man rotations, right? The Nets also had Harden out with Durant and Irving already out. But they at least had a lot more players, Right. So, you know, yeah, all this usage is gone, but like they started Bembry and Brown, but they have Cameron Thomas. They got, you know, Blake Griffin's there, but they also have James Johnson. Like they, they, they could spread out their minutes in a lot of different ways. The Pacers and the Blazers really couldn't. So, uh, I mean, the, the Blazers, I mean, the top projected guys for the Blazers, we had Justice Winslow. He was 3K. Uh, obviously, he gives a bump to, to Anthony Simons. It was 7,000, so it's not like he was, like, cheap, cheap or anything. Uh, and then he had guys like Ben McLemore and C.J. Ellaby, uh, D- D- uh, Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, well, I mean, obviously Nurkic, but he's 8,500. So, like, yeah, he gets a bump, but he's also expensive. And then on the Pacers, like, their backcourt was just like, I mean, their, their backcourt was traded to the, the Kings or the Cavaliers, right? Levert's going to the Cavaliers. Then you have Holiday. Brogdon's out. Right, Brogdon was out, and then then Holiday and Lamb, they're going to the Kings. So they they started Lance Stevenson, and uh, what we know about Lance Stevenson is that uh, very high usage player, right? He he like he's a ball hog, 
So it was like Sykes, Stevenson, Duarte, uh, who else started? Tori Craig and Goga, because he's back. But uh, but Isaiah Jackson was out. So like they were running like an like a, I think an eight man rotation and it was more thin in the backcourt. Right. Because they still have uh, Brissett and Taylor for the front court. And Craig is not a high usage player as a, as a pseudo power forward, if you want to call him a power forward. So like like in our projections, essentially, like Lance Stevenson at thirty two hundred became, you know, he, his salary adjusted plus minus was like plus eleven eleven point five or something like when it gets to those ranges where their median, their median projection is nine X their salary, especially when they're thirty two hundred. Like that, those are jam. Those are jam type of situations. You you should be getting a ton of them. The only reason you wouldn't be getting all of them is because we also have the Blazers and we also have like Goga and Duarte and all these other Pacers. So it's like there's there's only some. You you still need raw points, so you're still probably paying up some in some spots. You're not going to leave ten thousand on the table. So that would be the only reason. Like I played eighty lineups yesterday. I had Lance in like seventy six percent. Right, I had Winslow in about the same. I ended, I ended up with, with a lot of DSJ and Sykes in as, as under-owned cheaper plays, and they kind of, like, bombed my lineups. It's not like not like they did horribly, but, I mean, 13, 15 points ain't going to cut it on a slate like this. And I was doing a lot of lake swap stuff. So, like, my original stuff, like, because that Pacers game started, and then we had, you know, ten of those 10 o'clock games, and then uh, we had Rashawn Holmes ruled out and Bagley ruled out. So that bumped up Damian Jones and Damian Jones came in at 1.8%. And unfortunately I was only able to jam him into like 8% of my lineups because, because I mean, because other guys projected better, like Winslow projected better than him. Right. So, so I would, I would love to have that beforehand, but if we take a look at uh, across, across the, a lot of uh, sharper players, I mean, you can see here, look, look at Winslow. He was 51% owned. And if we take a look across the spectrum, 60, 48, 78, 91, 82, 75, 74. I mean, take a look at the hard green, right? For the most part, way over, way uh, even at 51% as under-owned. Lance Stevenson, 45.7% owned. And I he would have been higher on the – that Pacers news with, the, with Brogdon and Jackson came out like what? Like 45 minutes before lock or something? Like not, not 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 like completely because we got the Sabonis trade news, but we still didn't know if Brogdon and Jackson were going to play. Because if Brogdon and Jackson played, then a lot of these Pacers guys would have been like, okay, and that that's about it. Uh, but with Brogdon and Jackson out, it's like they're playing an eight man rotation. Uh, and then we got the that that the, saw that Stevenson was starting, uh, not Dwayne Washington. And, uh, and and you could have played Dwayne Washington also. I mean, like all of them were going to play like thirty plus minutes, and they're all cheap. Duarte was fifty five hundred. He was the most expensive player on the Pacers, and I still got a bunch of him also. So we can see here across the board. I mean, you could have played. You didn't have to play Duarte. I mean, depending on whether or not you considered him to be over or under owned. At twenty five percent ownership for the field, I, I consider him to be under owned. I thought his efficient ownership was around thirty thirty two percent or so. Uh, Simons was well-owned, but I was, I mean, I was over the field on most of these guys. I was under on Brandon Ingram. Uh, he was the de facto with uh, the Pelicans because the Pelicans made a trade also, right? Uh, so at 9,200, he was at, at uh, especially at small forward eligible. Uh, I mean, it says Justice Winslow is small forward here, but he's re- he was really just power forward only. Uh, 
I thought the field would be over too, too much. I thought Ingram's efficient ownership on the slate was like maybe 25 ish percent or something. Uh, so I ended up playing a lot more like Luca. I played uh, some Giannis, Jokic, Embiid. I played a lot more Trey Young. I was surprised Trey Young was only 15% though. I played like like almost 50% of Trey Young for the primary reason is that since I was playing a lot of Pacers, right? Uh, the Pacers were playing the Hawks. So if I'm if I'm gonna jam in, like I made I made it a point with the Pacers and Blazers projections, I I I set a rule to have at least two from both teams. So I had two Pacers, two Blazers in all of my lineups. Uh, I had a max of four for each. But I also set up a rule that if Trey Young is in the lineup, make sure to have make sure to have more Pacers because to both sides of the game, right? That there is a correlation there. It's not the strongest of correlations, but it's a correlation of both sides of the game. The game is close. The starters play the most, right? The game goes over, right? Trey didn't even get his like last five minutes of his rotation. He still scored fifty five points. But I did also the same with like uh, Cole Anthony and uh, uh, Wendell Carter Jr. for the Magic. They didn't project great. They were they were okay. I mean, on this, on, if it was any other slate without all this value, they would have been, oh, okay, you can play these guys. I mean, they're pretty well projected. They're fine. But like a salary adjusted plus minus of like one and two on a slate where there's 10 players that have five or above, like it's not, it's, they're okay. You can play, oh, sure, you can, you can play them. But I also set that, that since I'm playing a ton of Blazers, why not play, why not prioritize a little bit more of the magic to have both sides of the game? Uh, but it, but my late swap endeavors, I mean, I ended up because I was late swapping and trying to get in like Damian Jones. And I was I was I was moving stuff around depending on like I was looking to play Winslow in my better lineups and not in my other lineups. Right. Because you take a look at like the Pacers, like when I saw like Sykes, Sykes has a snowflake. It's like, well, I probably I may not want to play Winslow in those lines because I know Winslow's going to be, you know, 50 percent owned or something or like Anthony Simons, that type of stuff. So uh, the, the the byproduct of that is that I got a lot more uh, Davion, Davion Mitchell uh, than, than I originally intended. I think I originally had like maybe 15 or 20 percent and I ended up with like 30 percent only because obviously he's in one of the 10 o'clock games. So like he's open for business as far as putting putting them in your lineups. So that that kind of that that didn't do well. I mean, I didn't have a bad night. I mean, I lost. Yeah, I mean, like minus minus 15 percent or something. But I lot a lot of good lineups. Like, like uh, you know, lineups that like, could have contended, right? Heading into the late games where, like, all flame emojis and everything, and then, you know, DSJ has 15 points. Or or uh, Davion Mitchell has, has 17 points, right? Something like that. Right, because I would have a Luka lineup. I would have a Luka and a Giannis lineup, right? And then that lineup has Kiefer Sykes in it. It's like, ah, ah. Or Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin, who, who the first half seemed fine, but, I mean, that – did you see the beginning of the game? I didn't see it. I just was following the score. 28 to 2, right? Against the Celtics. Uh, if you played a bunch of the Nets, I I don't I don't think that was bad per se. But the the problem, the problem with the Nets is not that the oh the matchup against the Celtics. Yeah, it's sure. It doesn't matter what team they're playing without Harden, without Irving, without Durant. I mean, it's it's not a real team, right? It's not a real team. The problem is, is that they still have like 10 guys. Right. So Bembry and Brown started and like, you, who knows what this rotation is going to be. Right. Who knows, you know, because they still have Dayron Sharp. They got some of these younger guys, Jevon Carter. So like no one's guaranteed to play 30 minutes. 
right? They could be rotating whatever the hell they want. So nothing stood out. Like Patty Mills, he was 5,800. Like could, yes, if they, it was a more competitive game, someone could have gotten there, but who knows who that was going to be. Most likely, Blake projected the best out of the bunch. Uh, but like I, I can understand, especially with all the value that was already here, like why play the Nets? If it was a, if it was a slate where these trades didn't happen, like yeah, the Nets the Nets would have been way more chalky, right? Blake Griffin could have been like forty percent owned, right? Patty Mills could have been ten percent owned. We would have seen Dia Bembry at double digit ownership, but you didn't you didn't need these guys. Because look, even Cameron Thomas, Cameron Thomas didn't even start, and he was sixteen percent owned. I mean, see here, a lot of people, right? Look across the board. Like, not, not much. Like, why would you want to play a 16% on Cameron Thomas? Take a look at DSJ. See, I'm, I'm, not, that, I'm not that bothered with my DSJ exposure when I see some, some people. Cheese, Brick, Royal Pain, Chipotle, RBX88 at 33%. Right? I ended up with a lot more than that only because I was late swapping a bunch. But, uh, but I had 15% ownership. I, was, I, was, I, I put his uh, ownership in as like 26% or something. So imagine if I if I put it in at 15%, I would have probably gotten a lot, lot more. So that that, that almost benefited me. All right, Dwayne Washington. Right. Oh, you got some people that went. So some of some of the more contrarian players. I could see here. I mean, this is what you do. You go through and you see, you know, the types of lineups that you were building, are they similar to the types of lineups that other other sharper players were building? Right. And some have slightly different strategies, right? I mean, you could say I'm going to go under on on Winslow, but you're probably going over on Lance Stevenson. But I don't see anyone here. I mean, the whistles, whistles was the only one to like be significantly enough under on the two chalkiest players on the slate. Let's take a look at his overall exposures. Was he a little bit more balanced? Okay, where? Okay, this is this is this is not working out. Uh, let me. <laughs> Let me start by field. Okay, so let's go to whistles. So 47% Goga. Seems like it was a lot more, a lot more spread out. 21% Wendell Carter. Okay, that makes sense if you're playing Blazers. 21% James Johnson. 12% Jason Tatum. I guess if you're playing, if you're playing Nets, 10% De'Aaron Fox. 12% Devontae Graham, 11 Tory Craig, Jalen Brown. Seemed like he leaned a little bit more towards the Nets game. 14, Trendon Watford, only scored 11 points. Why you why play Damian Jones at that point? What was Damian Jones's? Uh, let, let's take a look. Filter by team. Let's go to Sacramento. Damian Jones. So here you can see all the late swappers, right? Because probably before before Holmes was out, you shouldn't have any. I don't see a reason why you would have had any Damian Jones. So it looks here that there were there were late swaps other than brick and cheese. But like Chipotle, 39%, the Colts 26%, or me too. I guess you could count me too as well. All right. So these are the late swap. The only reason that like, you'd only get a very small amount is because all your slots are kind of locked up, right? You've only got two slots left, and and someone like Winslow in the late games projects better. 
So most likely you're leaving Winslow in and then your other slot may be like Anthony Simons. So it's like, you're not going to like Simons projects for more raw points than Damian Jones, regardless of, you know, the median multiplier. So you're not going to just like leave 4,000 on the table and play a guy that projects for 10 points less. He should be chalky tonight. I think he's one of the high currently. I mean, based on our algorithmic early projections, they'll, 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 they'll go in and make manual updates. But if Holmes is out again, yeah, I mean, what, what they, and Bagley is out also. They have, like, they have no front court. They have like the what? It's Jones, me too. Who else? I mean, there's nothing, there's not much up there. But like I always say, this is what I do in the morning. Maybe not at 11. Sometimes I sleep even later. Some 12, 1, or sometimes the night of, you know, afterwards. Look, look, look through. I may look through a little bit more than this. I may look for specific things. Just get a sense of, was I making lineups, especially since I'm playing large, you know, large field contests. But even if you're making smaller field, could we go to like the Rainmaker? Right? Some people may only play one lineup into this. Right. Look in the Rainmaker. Like other than whistles, Lance Stevenson, 100%, 100, 100, 100. I mean, like, right, the field, 83% Stevenson in the Rainmaker, which is only 134 inches. Look at this ownership. And you have Chipotle, Kobe for MVP, E. Hafner, Oxenduck, Petty Theft, Whistles. Like these are like the best players in NBA DFS. Some of the best players in NBA DFS. So if, if you're not making lineups similar, if you would not rather trade their lifetime results in NBA DFS with someone else, that why wouldn't you be playing lineups that are similar? Exact? No, not exactly exact. If you were playing lineups that were similar to a lot of sharper players, long-time, lifetime, profitable players, that's typically a sign that you're playing them. If you're playing lineups that look nothing like that, then you're probably not playing them. Going through the YouTube chat. Dylan Myers says, hey, Blender, I bought your course for myself for Christmas and already earned my money back. Good. Thank you. I look forward to going through the course again before NFL restarts. Yes, that's what the course is all for. It should be able to be listened to multiple times. So you listen to it once, you play for a month or two, listen to it again. And the concepts start, you know, you get more, like muscle memory of, you know, how, how you should be thinking and approaching the game. Should I play this lineup, that lineup, what contest, what, you know, you could enter new, new sports and say, you know, well, what, what's the game theory of this sport? What concepts apply more towards these sports than other sports? Still all game theory. But like an NBA, correlations doesn't really matter that much. And also, NBA is not an event-driven sport. So the, 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 the distribution curve of player projections for NBA is much more normal. Okay? Normally distributed, more normally distributed, and less variant. Which means typically the higher projected guys do well. I mean, like that's typically right. As long as you get the minutes decently right, right. In the long run, over the course of a season, three seasons, five seasons, you're you're you probably do well. You know, just using these these levers, right? Projection, ownership, projection, leverage, correlation. 
that you really don't even need this correlation lever. You really don't. Projection and leverage is all you need. Then you have baseball, where that correlation lever, you're just jamming up, jamming up to the high, right? You play five batters from a team. Very high correlation. And then determining, depending on, you know, the field size and the strength of your opponents and the, the actual owner, the ownership of those fields compared to the fields that you're playing, judging, you know, how contrarian your lineup needs to be. And once you figure out how contrarian lineup around, around what it needs to be, then all you're doing is selecting players that fill that parameter as a whole for as much projection as you can get. Let's see. Kickstart said, do you get into any Javon Carter? No. I would not know. That there's no, there was no reason to play Javon Carter. Not with all the value that's already there. Why? Why wouldn't you play Winslow Steven? Once you once you once you're putting in Winslow Slee Stevenson and Goga or something in your lineup, like you don't need any 3K guys anymore. You know, like you're, there's no need for them. So I'm not gonna play a guy that projects for 12 points lower for no reason. <sighs> Joe Adamo says, I feel like my process was good. This is why I only do my 150 in the five cent fandle point. Master the process. That that's what you should be doing. Play the lowest stakes you can until you learn, until you can beat that game. Until you can get a good ROI in the lowest stakes, you shouldn't be playing higher stakes or mid stakes or mid low stakes or whatever. You'll see that your ROI, the better that you play, is going to be much higher in the lower stakes. And even if I just go to my, my own rotor tracker, I mean, obviously on DraftKings, I can't even play anything under like five bucks. Unless it's the $4.20 max or whatever. It depends on the size of the prize pool. But that's what I play. I play quarter arcade. But I didn't quarter arcade $1 contest, $3 contests. Just because the max is like 20 doesn't mean you have to play 20. You can play three. Doesn't matter how many lineups that you play. How many lineups is the max for a contest? So when I started to play, uh, you know, MLB, I was playing, you know, I would hand build, you know, eight lineups, 12 lineups, 15, you know, something like that. Still use the projections and everything, but not use a tool, not use an optimizer or anything to, to make the lineups for me. No, no. What's the ownership? What's the projection? Put the pieces together and go, this, this, this seems like it has the, the, the right balance for this, for this contest. And then go on to the next lineup and the next lineup and the next lineup and the next lineup. Once you get comfortable with that process, and the results over a course of a year or two are positive, then you're like, well, maybe it makes more sense. Like if I could build 15 good lineups, I could probably build 50 good lineups. Now I get down, now from a time consideration, building 50 by hand is kind of a little bit tough. So now you want to scale your already profitable process up. And that's when you use a tool like results, like, uh, like Lineup HQ. And then all you're doing with Lineup HQ is, I know what the types of lineups I want to make. Uh, how do I how do I get the lineup builder to make those lineups for me? Not I don't know what lineups to make. Let let the let lineup HQ tell me what to do. Now that's that's not the right methodology of doing so. That's not the right mindset. But in the lower stakes, you should show a much higher ROI. I think my my ROI in the lower stakes. I mean, uh, like especially in like cash games, was like fifteen to twenty percent. In the one dollar, two dollar, three dollar games. 15 to 20% is, is elite level. You can't get that at the high. You can't 
come close to that, the higher stakes. Then the mid stakes, it would be like four to seven percent. Then the high stakes, it's like two percent at best, right? It's more raw money, right? It's more raw money, but the the ROI percentage is small. Putting a hundred thousand dollars worth of volume and getting no one percent return, you know, you're talking about a thousand bucks. But it's still better than putting in three hundred dollars worth of volume and getting a twenty percent return because that's sixty dollars. But if you can't beat the lower stakes games, you ain't going to beat the higher stakes ones. So yeah, that's that's the right that's the right mentality to have. Play one hundred and fifty lineups into the nickel contest. Play ten lineups into the nickel contest. It doesn't have to be one hundred and fifty. And over the course of a year or two, at, your bankroll should go up if you're playing well. It may, it may, it, it most likely if you're playing just GPPs, it's going to go down, 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 big spike. And that big spike is going to make up for all the losses and then some. And then you go down, 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 big spike. And then after two or three big spikes like that, then you're like, okay, I, I got a nice, you got a 45% ROI, right, overall. And then you're like, okay, maybe I move up to the dollar contest now. And then you do the same thing. Down, 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 a big spike. Down, 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 a big spike. That, that's like another year. Then you move up to the $4.20 match. You win the $3 contest, the $5 contest. Try to keep under five if you can, or just add more volume. So now you're playing the $4.20 max. Now you're playing the and one one dollar twenty max. You're playing the quarter arcade. You're playing maybe two three hundred dollars worth of volume now, all in the low stakes, and then just crush that. Down 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 down. Big spike down 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 down. Maybe maybe you get three or four binks a year. Next thing you know, you're three or four years in. Your bankroll's now fifteen twenty thousand dollars. You started with five hundred bucks, and now you move up. Now now you start playing. Now you're building twenty lineups into the fadeaway. They're the fifteen dollar contest, right? You're still doing the the twenty magnet, and you move up. To, Another two years, now you down, 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 a big bank, down, 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 a big bank. And one of those big banks could be like 50 grand or 100 grand. And now you're, now you're in year four, year five, and now your bank rolls $150,000, $200,000. That's, that's what you should be doing. You just have to have patience. I talked about this yesterday. Oh, let's see. Going through the YouTube chat. Well, that's why like going through your lineups and saying if your process is good. It's like I looked at my lineups and said, I don't see anything I'm, based on based on looking at sharper players and and comparing what my uh, projected ownership versus actual ownership and what my lineups look like based on those. Like, like I don't think I, I I don't think I would have done really much different. I don't think so. And some of the stuff was a byproduct of a late swap. I get it. Like the Davion Mitchell, I ended up on more of them only because I was late swapping, and he fit in right. But no, I was fine. Trey was under owned, and I applied the most of him, right? I had a bunch of Sengun. He did pretty fine, and I see across the board more people were over than under. I have no problem with Kiefer Sykes. I mean, I mean some just avoided him, like RBX and E Hafner. I see Royal Payne and ship my money at God knows how much of him. So I'm right. Patty Mills, I just X'd out. And it seemed like that was the right move, other than Kobe and ship my money had a bunch. 
for the most part, a lot of people had zero. And so I had zero. And I'm looking at all, here, here's all these players that I respect. And a lot of them have zero. So like, okay, I, I, I was probably in the right direction. Didn't matter what the process was. Patty Mills put up 74 points tomorrow, yesterday. I'd be looking at the same thing. And going, oh, well, was it a mistake not to have any of them? Well, it doesn't seem like, seemed like everyone, a lot of people had nothing. And it's not like he projected that well. <sighs> Let's see. People are talking in the chat, which I always love to see. Talking amongst themselves. Joe Adamo says NHL is consistently at the top all the time, so my process is fine. NHL and MLB are my strongest sports. What's the what's the what's the 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 correlation? Funny, funny say between uh NHL and MLB. Highly correlative sports. Some people have have trouble going to and from those types of sports. I I would I would consider like NBA to me is like the least correlative. Like I would put some of these sports in buckets. So like I would put like NFL, MLB, NHL kind of together. I would put like PGA, MMA, NASCAR kind of together. I would guess maybe you throw in like League of Legends in the in the MLB NHL bucket. And then NBA kind of just stands out on its own. Because you have sport, you have sports like NHL and MLB, highly, highly correlated. League of Legends, highly correlated. You're, you're not you're you're playing four or five guys from a team, right? You're playing lineups that are like five, three. Four, three, one, you know, you're stacking teams, not not player players, right? Other than the pitchers. And then you have like MMA and golf, where it's like it's very, very, very binary. MMA is totally binary. But PGA is like limited correlation and there's no teams. So it's just like pick six golfers. That's it. I can consider MMA and PGA to be more sports that are built around leverage. Right. That leverage lever is the most important lever out of in those types of sports. NASCAR, NFL showdown contests for any sport. Limited, limited amount of options, those types of things. So when those three levers, projection, leverage, correlation, that leverage lever goes up. NHL and MLB correlation lever goes up. NBA is the one where the projection lever goes. That That's where the correlation leverage are the ones that are. In the lower. I'm not milking cows, by the way. It looks like I'm milking cows. So if you're good at one of those buckets, those three buckets, maybe getting used to the other levers. Right? So when you play NBA, it's like it's it's a lot more projection oriented. You're still you're still trying to get leverage, right? If there's some form of correlation, like as a 50-50 toss-up type of thing, maybe you throw that in. But for the most part, you know, if you're, you're you're trying to get the highest projection for the lowest ownership, and that's pretty much the name of the game in NBA. And that's the name of the game in all of DFS, but you're primarily doing it through projection. They're trying to get 75th plus percentile outcomes or something out of all your players for the sat for, for adjusted for salary. MLB, no, you're just trying to get you're trying to get the right teams. You don't even have to get all the right batters. 
Is there a team that's going to put up 16 runs today? Just have five guys from that team. Most likely you're going to win. You're going to, you're going to have really good lineups, right? Can you find that team versus their ownership as, as a block? So it takes, it takes up more spots in your lineup. So essentially in MLB, even though there are, what, 11 spots in your lineup, 10 spots in your lineup on DraftKings, a lot of times it's really just like two, two pitchers and two teams, and you're just weaving them together, and that's it. NBA, you have there's, there's just eight spots. A lot of times you're not playing multiple guys from a team unless they're extremely underpriced, like, they, like yesterday. Then you have like MMA and PGA, NASCAR, that type of stuff. We're, we're limited correlation. I can't speak for NASCAR, right? Because I don't play NASCAR. So maybe there is. Uh, you're, you're focused more on like not being duplicated. You're focusing more on, you know, oh, the high-owned guy is fighting a low-owned guy, right? If you get the low-owned guy that beats you, you kind of, that leverage works out. Right? When the 6% owned guy beats the 50% owned guy, and you have the 6% owned guy, like you rise up with 6% of the field while 50% of the field goes down even further. So you gain even more relative value. The amount of relative value available in contests like MMA, especially, is, is massive. It's absolutely massive. PGA to some extent also because of price ranges. You'll see some guy that's 25% owned at 7,200. And another guy that's 15% owned at 7,200 in that range. And then a whole bunch of guys that have like 2% ownership. And a lot of times if you're, if you're, if you're playing, you know, 49.5 salary and above, that they could be a massive leverage by like fading cheap chalk and just playing a combination of a lot of other different types of players. Uh, let's see. Going through the YouTube chat while they're talking amongst themselves. Yeah, Joe says I ended up paying taxes this year, paid for two vacations. And there you go. What's wrong with that? I played for plenty of vacations through DFS. Right? Went to Hawaii about two years ago. I mean, but this is what I mean. Everything that I, I mean, it's the it, DFS doesn't pay for. I mean, DFS is what I do. It's like saying I'm a doctor and my doctor paid for my medicine. Like, yeah, it's my job. Uh, Kickstart says one thing I learned in MLB last year is that it's very viable strategy to play someone not starting in the starting lineup and his min salary so you could play, play, pay up for stacks. Oh, this is for in showdown. Oh, yeah, in showdown, you could do it. Especially MLB. A zero, there, there may be plenty of people who get zeros in MLB. They're talking amongst themselves in there. Anything else? Anything else to talk about? What's going on today? Lamella Ball is he going to be chalk? Hayward's out. Is there anyone else out? Okay, they don't have anyone. Who's who's? Who else is out? Okay, Hayward's out. Is there someone else out? Yeah, I guess they're running with the very yeah, because we have Richards and Plumley, and they pretty much play the same position. So, are they going to be running with like a seven-man rotation? I guess Lamelo is he going to be chalky? 
Rozier, I mean, all of these guys. I mean, on a six-game slate, if we take a look, I mean, as of right now, I didn't update it. I mean, Sacramento, Sacramento, Portland still, right? We have to assume that the new players aren't there yet, that aren't going to play. And Charlotte, let's update these projections a little bit. As of now, like I said, as of now, who knows? Half these players could be traded. No, it hasn't been updated. Who knows? Maybe Utah, something happens there. The Lakers, it's a back-to-back. Maybe LeBron sits. Maybe Davis sits. Westbrook probably should sit. We don't know what's going to happen. I don't even know if I'm going to play tonight. It's the trade deadline. Typically, I watch wrestling on Wednesday nights. So I have to deal with the the 10 o'clock. There's three games at 10. I know know it's late swap. Late swap time. I'll take a slate off. No harm in that. Right? If I can't be completely locked in, especially with the trade deadline I hear, I just might as well not play. Right? I don't want to be stuck, like, missing late swaps for 10 o'clock and then... All, all, all my all my EV goes goes down the drain. So maybe I, I don't play today. I'll play soccer. I, the soccer's going on. This is the Premier League. I have a 245 Eastern. I'll be playing that. But I only play one lineup for that. Mostly, usually. Uh, okay. So short show. Short show today. It's a short show today. Uh, obviously, all the concepts that I'm talking about, projection, leverage, correlation, those are core fundamental DFS concepts you could find in the theory of daily fantasy sports. 15-hour audio DFS masterclass. How to think like a professional DFS player. You can go to theoryofdfs.com. And as all the chapters, it's in, if you can, you can watch. I have a playlist on my YouTube of all of the pre, DFS pregame shows on Roto-Grinders. This show, all of them. It's 238 videos. And they're mostly around close to hour-long shows. So if you want, you could watch all of them, no matter, and you could learn everything by just watching that playlist. Just start from two years ago and watch every show. You'd, you'd, you'd be an expert. You'd be an absolute expert at everything. Uh, takes, it takes a lot of time. I mean, personally, that's what I would do. Right? If, if, I, if I was starting to play DFS today, that's exactly what I would do. That's literally what I would do, because that's what I did back in 2015. By 2015, 2016, when I started playing DFS, I, I, I read everything. I watched everything. Like on Roto-Grinders. I mean, I was a Roto-Grinders subscriber. That's 2016, that was, I was just a subscriber like anyone else. When I went back in the forum threads, I was reading posts from three years ago. I was watching uh, strategy, you know, hour-long shows from two years ago. Anything with Jonathan Bales or Chris Raybon or... You know, some of some of the older hosts that used to be on here uh, or even the ones that still are like Noto and Meansy and Cards and all those and uh, and watch. And that's how I learned how to play DFS. Watched hun- I, I, don't know, prob- I don't know how much video I watched. Hundreds of hours. Right. And I was still only playing like less than one hundred dollars a slate. They're learning how to play. And this, the content is there. The content is there for you. All you have to do is watch and learn. Watch, play, learn. Watch, play, learn. Watch, play, learn. There's no, there's no reason you can't go through all that within three months. You're, you're pretty much, um, 
consent directionally accurate enough to be profitable at DFS, especially at the low stakes. But if you don't want to go through 238 videos, 15 hours, it's nice structured. It's like a little seminar. Me and James McCool has all, all these concepts. Obviously, a lot of it is statistics. So you could take you could go to Khan Academy, you could take a basic statistics class. But a lot, a lot of this is just statistics and probability. You go through this all, typically come out on the other side, a profitable player. Long-term profitable. You're not like, oh, then I'll, I'm going to listen for 15 hours and the next day bink $100,000. It was that easy. I wouldn't be teaching. I'd be keeping it a secret. And you'd just see my name on top of the leaderboard every single day. I'd be a time lord or something. No, that, obviously it's not like this. It's long-term profitability. So go to theoryofdfs.com. Pick that up. Kickstart asks if there's anything for the fights this weekend. I'll, I'll go over the UFC slate on Friday. I haven't put together my spreadsheet for it, so I have no idea. Hopefully all 50. I want I want the most amount of fights. I hope so. But, uh, but I, I always I always show my, my MMA spreadsheet, at least my Friday version on, on Friday. So when betting lines, whatever. I, I mean, I'll be I'll be working my soccer stuff this afternoon. So, yeah, so so tune in Friday. I mean, 10% of people care about MMA, but since I do play MMA DFS, I might as well share. I share everything, right? It always amazes me. I don't mind teaching. The, oh, I'm going to teach this course and give away my edge. Like, none of these concepts are mine. It's just, it's just math, game theory, statistics, probability. There's nothing, there's nothing new. I'm not, I'm not reinventing anything. I didn't, I didn't come up with any of this. Right. But I, I rely on the fact that 95% of you won't actually do it. <laughs> if everyone that took this course actually did and implemented it well, then then the, the DFS would be a way harder game, way harder game. There's still, still there's still tons of dead money in the contest lobbies that uh they you should be able to be profitable playing this if you if you play it well enough over the long run. So go to theoryofdfs.com, obviously. Hit the like button on your way out the door, right? Give me those likes. Hit the subscribe button if you're new here. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. Grinders Live's coming up later today. I think they're, I think now it's at 4.45 p.m. I never know what time it is. 5.10, 5 o'clock, 4.45. You'll see it on the YouTube. You'll see it on the Road of Grinders YouTube. You'll see a thumbnail for it. You'll see Dean's face on it. Right, Dean and two other people on it. You'll, you'll see it. It should be in your, if you subscribe, it'll be in your feed. So tune in for that, and they'll go over tonight's six-game NBA slate, and then crunch time for premium members. You could always get a premium membership. Rotogrinders.com slash premium. Click on the link in the description. Get $10 off your first month, and, uh, and I'll see you tomorrow. Answering your DFS strategy questions, as always, on the DFS pregame show on Rotogrinders. Dot com. <laughs>